When I told the story, I realized for the first time that I had been hiding something, because I never mentioned it. Never. I was afraid of, of frightening people. I was afraid of frightening myself. I was afraid of owning it. I was afraid of the pain. My pain. It's the TMI Project Podcast, a series of stories about the too much information parts of ourselves we usually leave out because we're too ashamed or embarrassed. I'm your host, Eva Tenuto. This is Season 3, Stories for Choice. Before we get started, just want to let you know that as the TMI implies, some content might be too much information for some listeners. And remember, your support keeps our content free and accessible to everyone who wants to listen. So if you like what you hear and you're able to chip in, you can do so at tmiproject.org, where you'll also find some really great merch. Either way, thank you. We are so glad you're listening. Let's dive right in. We now return with another story that took place before abortion was legalized. Like so many others, Deborah had to be blindfolded, picked up in the middle of the night, and lie down in the back seat on the way to the procedure. But Deborah's story takes a turn and she finds herself in an unbelievable set of circumstances. Stay tuned after her story to hear from Deborah today. Three years after my father passes away, I've almost graduated from Brooklyn College, where I've transferred to be closer to my widowed mother. My mother is bright and imaginative, but moody and fearful of noise and conflict. When I'm young, she made me into her perfect clone. I developed a false self to please her. The good child, always gentle, kind, solicitous, and just as fearful. I believed that my real self was not acceptable, not nice. When I rebelled by rejecting one of her stifling hugs, she would get a headache and close herself in her bedroom. My father would beg me to apologize. She doesn't understand, Debbie. She needs you. I would go to her reluctantly. But after, I would feel so guilty. I wanted to die. How could I be so unloving, so unforgiving? So I grew up always questioning my feelings, rarely acknowledging them because I was ashamed of having them. I searched other people's faces for clues. I was often depressed, and I didn't see the point in living. As a teenager, the one place I knew myself was when I was acting on the stage. When the lines were written for me, I could respond honestly as my character, whose heart I knew better than my own. I lived to be on stage and to be a person who moved freely and loudly, whose emotions could connect with the audience. My father was a mystery to me, because my mother kept us apart. When I was young, she told me he had had scarlet fever, and my childish energy threatened his health and his work as a scientist. But on the rare occasions when she wasn't around, he explained his scientific research to me. He showed me these wonderful doodles he made with colored pens. I learned that he was funny. 
and curious about me, too. I felt alive with him. Now he's gone, and I'm desperate to get away from my grieving mother. Sexuality becomes my escape, a sweaty retreat from reality, no matter how temporary. Joseph is an actor. He's handsome, smart, and 10 years older. One afternoon, I visit his apartment, and he says he wants me with no protection. Well, we think it's safe, because I'm on the last day of my period. We have sex, but it's awkward. The encounter leaves me feeling empty. But I am not empty. After that joyless afternoon, I am pregnant. In 1960, abortion is illegal. Joseph says he'll pay, but I have to figure it out for myself. So I find a doctor in New Jersey who will do it. I pretend I am not afraid. One morning at 3.30 a.m., I am blindfolded, lying on the floor of a car headed to New Jersey. Then I'm lying on a table, sedated, my feet locked into position. I bleed for two weeks after the procedure, but I'm grateful that it's over. Three months later, I go to another doctor and ask for a diaphragm. He examines me and tells me excitedly that I am pregnant. His laughter bounces off the examining room walls. It turns out when I had the abortion, I was pregnant with twins. Now I'm finding out that one of them survived. When I tell Joseph, he says, it is our responsibility to get married and keep the baby. He's matter of fact about it, practical. I never feel love or excitement, just acceptance of this obligation. My mother is devastated. She crumbles. She says the baby will kill my career as an actress. And she refuses to give me the small inheritance my father left me. I am pulled in so many directions. Although I'm starting to half enjoy my growing breasts and belly and to believe I can be a loving wife and mother, I worry that the baby will suffer from depression the way I do. And how will I survive if Joseph leaves us? Emotionally, he has already. The pull to be the good child and obey is too strong. My mother arranges an appointment at a classy adoption agency where I have to go again and again, weak and nauseous on the long subway ride. Joseph objects. He keeps saying it's our responsibility. But then he's silent. Rachel is born on January 2nd, 1961, the 211th baby born in Manhattan in 1961. I'm not allowed to see her. I try to sneak in, but they catch me and send me away. 
I cancel the adoption papers, and Rachel is placed in foster care while I continue to struggle over whether I can keep her. I feel terrible that she's without me and without her twin. Three months later, I beg to see her. She sits on my lap, heavy and serious. She is Joseph's child, for sure. I can still feel her weight on my knees, her back resting on my arms as I support her head. She stares at me with big eyes that seem very far away, as if I am a stranger. At 21, I don't yet know how to love. I need time to finally step away from the shadow of my mother, to pursue my career, unleash my potential, and most importantly, to get to know myself and to learn to love myself. I cradle her and whisper, Rachel, you need love to grow, but it's a love I don't know myself. When you're 18, I will find you, but for now, I'm going to let you go. The door nurse takes her away forever. Although Joseph and I divorce, Many years later, I find out he left me money in his will to help me find her. But I never do. I wonder if Rachel, like me, has a hole in her heart, a loss she cannot name. Recently, we had a chance to catch up with Deborah. Here's what she had to say. I'm just so grateful for the opportunity to speak my truth. And I have worked with NARAL. I've worked with Planned Parenthood. I have been active because I don't want any younger women to go through what I went through. And it still hurts, but it was the right decision. And I still wish I could meet her. I looked for her. I haven't found her. After I told my story, I felt... As if I had jumped in a waterfall and had a bath, I felt like myself. I felt I wasn't hiding anymore. It was incredibly powerful. It makes me cry, even now, that I did it and that it has become a part of me that I now, I just tell. A very special thanks to Deborah for sharing her story. If you'd like to join her in taking action to ensure no one ever has to go through illegal abortion again, Download our listening and discussion guide where we offer resources and a number of ways to take action today. Next up, it's the season finale where I will practice what I preach and share my own story about the difficult decision I made not to have children, even though I wanted to be a mom more than almost anything. I'm Eva Tenuto. If you like what we're doing, please subscribe, rate, and leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps. TMI Project is available to offer true storytelling workshops and performances for your school or workplace. This episode of Season 3 of the TMI Project podcast, Stories for Choice, was produced in partnership with Radio Kingston. It was written by me and edited, produced, and mixed by Daisha Clay. Our theme song is Secrets by Edison Woods. 
Our operations and programs manager is Blake File. Our marketing and digital coordinator is Laura Marie Ruoko. Our administrative assistant is Elijah Jackson. Our graphic designer is Lauren Gill. Our workshop leaders are Perla Iora, Kaepelie Kalnick, Haley Downs, Jonathan Gonzalez, Rain Grayson, Ray Lipkin, Dara Laurie, Micah, Julie Novak, Blake File, and me, Eva Tenuto. To learn more, support our work, and find a special writing prompt so you can start telling your story, visit tmiproject.org slash podcast.